We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You mentioned Brian Flores. Brian Fitzpatrick has a cool beard. I know. He went to Harvard. He has a lot of I kids. We, we, we all love, don't bench Ryan Fitzpatrick. 3-0. Tua has not thrown an interception yet. And you know what, Nate? He was good. He wasn't great. He's, not, he's just still warming up. I'm telling you, give him another month. He is barely scratching the surface right now. It's not fantastic. It's not beautiful. But it's getting better every single week. And can you imagine being Bills fans this morning? What they just went through against Arizona. Now they go into a bye. They don't play for two weeks. And Tua, when they get back, is going to be waiting for them. Week 17, Miami at Buffalo. Game of the year. Tua, sensation, Mr. 7-8. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC's Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger of the Rockpile Report. And we, and that was NFL Network's Kyle Brandt talking about Miami catching up to Buffalo in the AFC East title race. They're hot on our heels. Guys, this might go down as one of my favorite AFC East Roundup podcasts of the entire year. Um, let's just cut through the BS and get right to it. We have the AFC East Bros in the house. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Covering the New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, New York Jets, and the Buffalo Bills. 180! 180! 
Lyle Smith. What kind of defense is it? Because they're disguising their coverage as late. Julio Jones, Chris Hogan, identical stat line. Gary Smith. Percy Harvin threw a dumbbell at him, found the weight room. Kyle, please, my butt. AFC East Bros Podcast. Chris, that beautiful piece of audio engineering was what you made for Kyle and Gary back when they were doing their podcast as the AFC East Bros. Fellas, how are you both doing tonight? I'm doing well, man. Uh, I'm happy to be on this show, I'll tell you that much. It's been a long time coming. <sighs> I, wanted to, I wanted to wait to let the older brother speak first out of respect. Uh, <laughs> doing pretty good, guys. Better than I have been in years, I'll say that. So, and I'm ex- I'm ecstatic to be on right now. I love the fact that we've got you both on at the same time. For those of you who don't know, if you've been living under a rock or weren't part of the podcast scene early on when it started, the Kyle and Gary, the AFC's bros, they were brothers who grew up in New Jersey playing football with each other and living in a house that was wildly divided by NFL fandom. As sons of a diehard Chiefs fan. Then you've got Gary, former MMA fighter and car wash owner, turned automotive complex center owner. I mean, Chris, is that a New Jersey success story or no? Oh, well, you forgot to mention that he's got a a garage full of arcades. I mean, it's almost like a better version of Rocky. I mean, I'm willing to say that. And he roots for the Buffalo Bills. And then you've got Kyle, educator and owner of a peaceful temperament and one of the biggest sweater collections seen since Bill Cosby. <laughs> and he's he's too nice to be a football player. At least that's what I thought. I was like, this guy's way too nice to have ever manhandled people to the ground. He's probably got Andrew Luck's personality where he just says that. Oh, after Luck gets lit up, it was like, oh, that's a great hit, great hit. <laughs> Good job, man. Good job. And he roots for the Jets and was one of the first people that we in our podcast infancy ever collaborated with and took advice from. And then they were the hosts of the AFC East Bros podcast, which was the first AFC East-centric podcast that covered all four teams. And it's really kind of the impetus of where this came from. I wish I had uh, Marty McFly audio right now. Son of a bitch stole my idea. (laughs) 98 episodes spanning just over two years. It ended without a formal farewell show. Was that by design, guys, or what, why the sudden just why did the show go away uh, well I appreciate you asking and um, I, I, I think about that from time to time and I'm, I'm not super happy with not so much that it ended although that was sad too but kind of the way that it did it kind of happened that uh, you know Gary uh, he went on vacation and we took like a hiatus for a while and then you know, I was going through some personal things myself uh, during that same exact time. And after not doing uh, the show for, you know, like a month and a half or whatever, I kind of didn't have the steam to keep on going with it at that point. Um, as you guys know, I mean, this is a part-time job for you guys, is it not? And you're covering one team. But, you know, when you do four, it's an extra level of uh, uh, dedication and, and, and time factor so uh that's kind of the 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 long story short right there but um i for all the loyal listeners and i know that some kind of carried over and heard me on some jet stuff throughout the years and i i came on a couple times after i stopped doing it with you guys 
Uh, but that's kind of, I, I wish that I were, was able to give all the listeners a, a kind of a farewell, but um, wasn't uh, by design. So I do apologize for that. I think my brother said it beautifully there. I mean, that's that's basically what happened along in the short. Uh, but we kind of left it open end because you never know. You just never know. And uh, we're not, uh, this might be the spark of a comeback. We don't know yet. Listen, talk about, nothing would make me happier than this being the start of something big. But hey, listen, we don't have to talk about that now. Yeah. My next question, I mean, you guys did something that we, Chris, forbade me from doing forbade me from doing which is taking live callers he he told me essentially the one day he looked at me and goes drew if we ever took a live caller and you let some random off the street talk to you for more than three seconds you would become a more insulting more profane version of mike francesa and nobody needs that <laughs> yeah definitely smarter definitely smarter than him too you definitely know a lot more about football than him although that sob claims that he had gms calling him uh, for advice on drafting players and whatnot. Wow. What an idiot. As if. Did you guys hear about that? No, because I Did try to pretend he doesn't that? exist. No. I mean, <laughs> no. We only, we only use Joe Benino audio on this Joe show Benino from WFAN. Supposedly he recently retired. Allegedly. I heard. Allegedly. Joe well, Benino I don't listen to he is He is a class act, that guy. What I love is that it's a 62-year-old man calling everyone bro. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's not waste any more time. It's awesome to see you guys. It's Like I said, I, I got chills when you guys, when the video popped up and I got to see you in the Zoom meeting room. I mean, it was just the best. Kyle, your beard is phenomenal. It's Fitzpatrick-esque for our listeners hey, who don't understand. you know under- what? It's not supposed to be this long, but our <laughs> lovely governors and stuff aren't letting us get our beards trimmed. We can get the rest of our hair trimmed at the, at the haircut place. But not the beard. That's off limits. Jesus. And Kyle's hair is so thick that any clipper that you buy over the counter will not get through that, that <laughs> piece of wood that's on his face. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> the first time I uh, recommended him to my barber, he told me, man, your brother's got some of the thickest hair I've ever cut. <laughs> Jesus. But he also said it's going to be a while before I go bald, so I'm gracious for that. Hey, Drew, I know you don't, you you want to get right into it, but before we do... I'd be remiss if I if I didn't bring this up. Uh oh. I was chatting with Gary a couple weeks ago. Hold on, first and- of all, can I, can I just say, Drew, I wasn't going to bring this up, but Kyle always has to do this. Here we go. go. Ahead, Kyle. I'm ready. <laughs> so he's like, "Hey, Kyle, I went up to you know when I went up to New England or when I went up to Buffalo last year when they played New England early in the season." He's like, "You know, Drew had a little get together at his place afterwards." And it was a tough loss for you guys. And you know how Drew gets after losses and during the game. You guys have seen the, the video clips. And Drew says to Gary, and this is like, I don't know, week four, week five, something like that. Drew says to Gary, second second season of Josh Allen, we need to move on from Josh Allen. That's what I heard you said, Drew. Is that true? Not only did I say it, but I'll stand by it because this is what an idiot I am. When it comes to evaluating quarterback talent, and it's funny that you say that because it's actually where I want to start tonight's conversation. <laughs> we look at the Buffalo Bills losing 32-30 to versus the Cardinals. Now, for anybody who wants the full stats, the our weekly recap, you can go over to the Rockpile Report podcast and check that out. It aired on Tuesday. Now, 
this is the one thing I'll say. When you guys last recorded a podcast, Brandon Bean had literally just been hired. And it was only while sitting in my living room talking to Gary, having a couple drinks with his wife after that Patriots game that we were able to talk about the rebuilding of the team and Josh Allen. And that conversation right there is why I think it's hilarious that today Fox Sports released their passing leaders through week 10, that graphic that goes out with Josh Allen sitting firmly at number one in the NFL with 2,871 yards. 2017 Drew Gear would have bet pretty much all of Bill's Mafia, a sizable portion of my annual salary, that this day wouldn't come. We'd never be here. We would never have this. Chris, raise a glass. We'll, we'll toast that. For anyone who doesn't understand the gravity of that, reflect on this. There's only one Buffalo Bills quarterback who's ever finished an NFL season as the leading passer. It's not Bledsoe. It's not Kelly. It's Joe Ferguson in 1977. What's that, 43 years? At 24, um, yeah. and at 24, Allen would be the youngest quarterback to accomplish that since Peyton Manning in 2000. Now, I'm willing to eat my share of crow. I'm wrong. <laughs> I was wrong when I was screaming naked on a balcony in Jamaica. I was wrong when I told Gary that I think we needed to move on after our loss to the Patriots last season. Gary, what has your opinion been on his ascendance this season? It's astonishing. And, uh, you know, we got to remember, I don't have the stats in front of me, but here's a guy who threw, I think it's like 800 passing uh, attempts less than Baker Mayfield in college, 400 less than Sam Darnold, something of that nature. And uh, I wish I had those stats in front of me, but it's, it's right around there. This guy is not, he played in Wyoming. You can't name me a wide receiver from Wyoming that's in the NFL right now. No. Sam Darnold had the... Uh, the uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Fortunate to have Juju Smith-Schuster. Baker Mayfield, I mean, Marquise Brown, uh, yeah, CeeDee Lamb. You know, he had guys like that, even though they didn't start initially during his career. They were on the practice field with them. NFL caliber, number one wide receivers. Josh Allen came from a small... He had no talent around him. The development of having this kid grow... <laughs> It's been astounding. And like I said, I didn't, I didn't see it coming either. But I also said give him time because he didn't have all that talent around him in college. He didn't have all that pro development players around him in college. So I'm not, I'm not shocked. Now, do you remember the day that I said that to you? I was probably almost a point one oh. <laughs> I was yeah. probably almost a point one. And I, I'll say this. I think you still defended him. Even then in that moment, you were like, no, no, I think Allen's going to be fine. I think that you need to be patient. And I love that we're here talking about this today now. Kyle. I say, though, I didn't, Drew, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, in the beginning, when we first drafted him, I was one of those guys that said, please say Josh Rosen, not Allen. Me too. I was sitting on the couch. I was sitting on the couch next to my brother. I'm like, say Rosen, say Rosen, say Rosen. And, uh, but I'm so happy this day. I honestly think... And I'll say this to everyone who's listening. I think we got the pick of the litter. Even over Lamar, Josh Allen, and I've said this from day one, I, I think he's better than Darnold. I thought he's better than Darnold coming out of college. Darnold was a turnover machine at SC. 
To this day, I think we got to pick a litter. He's got everything. If you wanted to make a quarterback and create a player in Madden, like if that was even available, you pick six foot five, two forty. They could run. And now has the accuracy. Has this? He's got the arm that can throw any over eighty yards. That's a perfect quarterback right there, and he's only getting better. I was I was telling Drew before we started uh, recording that you look at the Bills' history with quarterbacks. Jim Kelly was made in the USFL. We couldn't make it with J.P. Lossman. We couldn't develop E.J. Manuel. We couldn't develop Todd Collins. And then you have Josh Allen come out of the draft with all of these moldable mechanics that he has, and he gets picked by Buffalo. And I think that's why a lot of us were down on the pick. Like, oh, you expect the Buffalo regime to mold this thing correctly. And by shock, they have. Well, that's like somebody telling you if you're a caveman and someone's trying to explain flight. Well, you, you are a caveman. Did, if if you're tr- someone's trying to explain fire to you, but you've never seen it with your own two eyes, and you're like, no, no, you the the, the thing that you're telling me is possible isn't. It can't be done. I because I haven't seen it. And then someone brings you a burning branch and you run because you're like, oh my god, that's 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 terrifying. That's what Josh Allen is at this point. Now, Kyle. From a Jets fan perspective, how crazy is it that he's surpassed Sam Darnold, who was drafted before him and is was viewed as the more moldable prospect here? To answer that question, it's not – I mean, it is – it's a little surprising to me because I like Darnold better than Allen coming out. I did not like Allen at all. No one did. And egg on my face because – you know, I, I was tweeting, I was direct messaging the Jets Twitter, don't draft Josh Allen, for like, for like weeks consecutively and stuff, and like tweeting it out and even made a shirt that I wore, <laughs> draft, like, don't draft Josh Allen. I was not a fan of him coming out. So, but at the same time, I wasn't a fan of Sam Darnold. Now, I was, you know, looking at people who are more knowledgeable than me, like Daniel Jeremiah and several other people, Tony Romo, who were saying, listen, this kid, I think he's got a chance to be really special. He's got some things you can't teach. So I, I wanted to look at the optimistic part of it, but I was never sold on him, even after he flashed in his Houston game his rookie year and he flashed against Green Bay his rookie year. You know, even in those games, he still has the the asinine plays that he makes every game, the dumbass throws that he makes every game. It's like what? Um, so it's not that shocking that Allen is better than him because I wasn't that high on him. But it is completely otherworldly shocking that he's playing as well as he is in my eyes. Because you know, if you look at Allen had accuracy issues um, in college, and I know that. There was a whole bunch of reasons why he should have struggled in college that were beyond his control. But accuracy is kind of one of those things that you can't really teach. And it's really hard to improve on. And there's so few examples of when someone does improve it. So the fact that he is passing so much more accurate and that he is playing with so much more poise, that is very shocking to me. But I'll say one thing that I said to Gary over the summer before the season. Um, because I kind of really shut my mouth on Allen, you know, after I saw the, the strides and improvements that he made in year two, because I thought he was going to be a train wreck in the NFL, and he never was that, never, not even his rookie year. Um, and I said this to Gary, and I said, you know, some people would, you know, say that I'm committing blasphemy for what I'm about to say, but I said, Allen does have some of the special qualities in a quarterback that you can't teach. 
like the ability to escape the pocket and make a crazy throw from a, a, a crazy arm angle on the run, kind of like Patrick Mahomes. And I said this to Gary over the summer, and I said, like, that's what it takes to be a special quarterback. And he does have that. Now, if he can ever improve on some of the more little things, then he could become a good player. But I'm not sure that he'll ever do that. And he has done that. And that's why you're seeing him put up the numbers that he has and winning the games that he is right now. A tweet by Cover One, uh, Cover One analyst Greg Thompson it says, this guy who's monikered himself as Josh Allen stats on Twitter, he literally just tweets out nothing but Josh Allen stats. I don't know who has the time for that, but God bless him. He tweets out, of note, yesterday's game pushed Josh Allen's career completion percentage over 60% for the first time in his career. He's now at 60.2. And Greg quotes it and goes, do you know how much high quality passing volume it takes to lift the anchor of those first two years in just 10 games. That's how good he's been this year. Now, Gary, as we're talking about the Buffalo Bills here in this segment, I want to ask, kind of lightning round, I want to ask your, just get your take on a few things. First of all, rooting for the Buffalo Bills while living in the heart of New Jersey, how hard has it been now that they're good? When, when your team is bad, nobody makes nobody notices you because they're just like, wow, we feel bad enough for that person. Now that the team is good and you live in Jets country where everyone else is suffering, how is it has it been almost pleasurable? Like is it almost like a positive experience for you living in Jets country, knowing how much better we've been than they have been this season? Or have you taken some flag for it? You know, the funny thing is, I was at the grocery store in the hall, all geared up. I was in line, and some guy's like, are you a bandwagon fan, or have you always been a Bills fan? I, and I was like, I was shocked when someone asked me that. I was like, but now it's it's what you get asked because they've been good. They've been consistent the last three years under this regime. That now people are thinking, well, now they're just hopping on this bandwagon. Um, but yeah, it's kind of uh, liberating. I, I love it. I, I actually... I, you know, for I don't like seeing my brother in misery. I don't. I don't get any enjoyment. I wish, in fact, I remember the Rex Ryan years. I remember rooting for the Jets to actually make it because of my brother. But I must say, for all the millions of, of other Jets fans, I'm loving it. I, I, I wish them nothing. In fact, I was going to post something on Twitter of all these Josh Allen haters. Of all these uh, Jets fans, they were actually all ragging on Josh Allen. And by the way, all these guys are ragging on Josh Allen, all these Jets fans. They had stuff pinned of Josh Allen at Wyoming, like a bad incomplete, a bad interception. All that stuff is erased. You can't go on their Twitter and find They've deleted everything about Josh Allen. So, yes, it's liberating. I kept my tweets. I didn't delete any Josh Allen tweets. That's why we love you, Kyle, because you're honest. <laughs> That's why we love you. You're the most honest Jets fan we know. And I must say, you know, you guys mentioned the Fox Sports, uh, you know, and bring up the stats of Josh Allen being number one in, in uh, passing. They also awarded him their midseason MVP. Yes. They went as far to say he's the midseason MVP. Which, listen, I only get you a bag of potato chips and a, and a pat on the back. We want the whole thing. I honestly believe that, though, and I'm saying this right now, being from a Bills fan in New Jersey, that this has been the most satisfying season thus far after 
this many games. I must say, I've, I've seen seasons before with Trent Edwards when they start 5-1. and one. I've seen, you know, the, the third year with Ryan Fitzpatrick when they were 5-2. and two. This has been the most promising season thus far. Even with our defense looking shabby. How much, how much are you enjoying their status as lead dog in the division for the first time since, I mean, at least I could legally buy alcohol? You know, we, we've had division leads at 3-0, and but <laughs> the season's so new. We are past that midway point, and we have a lead. I will say that it's, it, it's and I don't want to start a segue right now, but that lead is not as comfortable as it was one was. But I still think if you look at the remainder of the schedule, the ball's in our court, and it's a good feeling. And we could take that ball and run with it. So when you I, look I feel good right now. Well, and that's the thing. If you're talking about taking the ball and run, running with it, which of the warts that are still here? I mean, we talked about it in the Rockpile Report this week. Things that are fixable and things that are not. I bet Greg Thompson from Cover One... A steak dinner and cocktails at a white linen <laughs> at a white linen restaurant on the fact that I think Dable is going to cost us in the playoffs with his inability to adjust coming out of halftime. It's crippled us week over week. Is, is depressing, man. I, and, and you know that. I've seen your, uh, your little clips of you watching the TV. Yes. It's hilarious. <laughs> God, we, we, we cannot keep playing comeback here. We can't have the first two quarters go our way. Well, a big lead in the third quarter, and then Josh Allen bailing us out in the fourth. That seems like the majority of the games we've watched this year. Um, he's got to make adjustments. He's got to, and this is what's going to prevent him from being a head coach if he can't make those adjustments. Absolutely. And so then I want to pivot over to Kyle. Gary, we love you, but now we want to talk about the Jets, who just came off the bye week. Kyle. Did they lose? Did, <laughs> No, they didn't lose, but they no, they did lose because the Jaguars blew the game. That's a loss for us. They the Jaguars lost, which is kind of a blow to their chances at 0 16. But even funnier, they cut Pierre Desir. And when I saw that cornerback Pierre Desir, who was one of their veteran free agent signings of the offseason period, when he got someone tweeted me or Facebook messaged me and said, "Hey." Did you see the Jets just cut Pierre Desir? And without even having to look at it, I just responded with, well, yeah, he gave up 115 yards and a touchdown to the bye week. Like, that's what happened. (laughs) Because that's what he has done all season. Kyle, this has been a a trying year. Your friend, Scott Mason, you know, you talk to him occasionally, you, you interact with him. He's been our de facto Jets guy for this podcast. And I'm happy that we, I finally get to pick your brain about this because you're someone who is a Jets fan, always seemed pragmatic, always seemed level-headed. You, you, you're never the sky, even when things were bad, you never looked at it like, hey, the sky's falling. So now since you've stopped the podcast, the Jets have gone on to become not only one of the worst football teams in the NFL, but also one of the most conversationally relevant teams. Hilariously enough, now there's constant conversation about the Jets out there to be had. There's so much meat on the bone. How have you, as a fan, coped so far? And do you do you ever get that itch to go back to podcasting? Um, hmm. uh, the itch to go back to podcasting, yeah, I get it every now and then, and that's why I'll, I'll jump on shows here or there. 
it's hard to commit to something, um, and, you know, do it so consistently. And even with Jet stuff, like, you know, I feel like I can definitely hold a, a really good conversation and stuff. But sometimes I feel like, you know, what there's so many Jets podcasts out there, and what is my voice like super unique and super different than someone else's perspective? And sometimes I feel like it might be, and sometimes I feel like mm, not so much. When we were doing four teams, which, like I said, is a lot of work. I feel like I had something unique and a niche there. So, you know, I don't know from time to time, but sometimes I jump on with my buddy Joe Blewett and, you know, we had, we talk more Jets, you know, film-related stuff. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, serving that itch right now. Um, but in terms of uh, the team overall, I mean, shoot, man, like when you just accept, when, when you're not in denial <laughs> with how bad your team is, it makes it so much more liberating. Like, I have, like, a lot of students that are, like, Giants fans and stuff. There's a lot of Giants fans in this area. And I had some of these students at the beginning of the year, the school year, telling me, oh, oh, the Giants are good, the Giants are good. And, you know, they're starting, like, 0-6 or whatever it is. And I was like, you guys are really bad, man. I'm telling you, once you just start admitting it, it's going to feel a lot better. (laughs) And then eventually I got them to start admitting it. And, you know, and then we started to – it helped me actually really teach the concept of bias to them because – bias is really important when you start to study history and I'm a history teacher. So, you know, I kind of take that approach with my football team. Like I always try to question my biases when study history. And it's like the same thing with my team. And I, I would be lying to you guys. Like I know that we only have one less win than the Jaguars, <laughs> but that team is a lot better than us. And you could just, if you watch the two teams play on a weekly basis, we are there is no team that is consistently getting blown out as much as us. Well, that's... we are so poorly coached. Our roster is bad. Our quarterback, you know, the the franchise guy that everybody, you know, at least like I would say, sixty five percent of Jets fans still at this point are still trying to make excuses for. Listen, there are some excuses to be had for the kid, but he fucking sucks. <laughs> he just does. I love it. Let's be honest. Yes. He, First F-bomb of the podcast, no one would have put it. If you would put an under-over on this show as to who dropped the first F-bomb, it would not have been Kyle Kyle. Smith. Yeah, I would have put it on. Yeah, I would have put it on Reed to call in and drop an F-bomb. I I love it. I mean, and I I guess I should elaborate on that more. Like, the offensive line is not good at this point. It was utterly terrible for, like, the past three seasons before this. And uh, it, it, you could argue that maybe that kind of wrecked Darnold's confidence his first two years. It is it's significantly improved, although that's not saying much from what it was last year. But the kid has had a lot more time to throw this year just from watching the film. But even when he has a clean pocket, he's running out when he has receivers open. He's a one-read quarterback. Uh, and if it's not there, he panics. Um, you know, Dan Orlowski loved to hype up, oh, Sam Darnold can throw when the pocket's muddy. You know, he, he could throw when he has bad feet. Okay, yeah, he can do that every now and then. But how many other times does he throw? He, he's got the worst mechanics in the NFL out of all starters. I am utterly convinced of that. And then how many times when he does throw with poor mechanics is his throw off target or how many just boneheaded plays does he make like that interception to Matt Milano week one throwing across his body into double coverage just an utterly stupid play um so 
there's really the only reasons to be optimistic for the team right now is for the future. And you're hoping that you get a good head coach hire. You're hoping that you get the first overall draft pick. You're extremely <laughs> an extreme gratitude to the Seahawks for giving you two, two first rounders for Jamal Adams, looking at the way that he's playing. <laughs> so, am I, I, I want to be optimistic is. for the future, but then I also have to keep myself in check. Who are the owners? Who are the idiots that are running this franchise? <laughs> and it's it's still the Johnsons at the end of the day. And geez, are they going to somehow screw up this head coaching hire? Uh, that's what's got me nervous. And are we are are the Jags going to lose out? And are we going to you know win one game and then they're going to get the strength of schedule tiebreaker over us? This is this is my worst fear, and it's 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 literally causing me anxiety every day. So hoping that we can just lose out. How much? Well, and that's the thing. I mean, going 0-16, now that you're actively trying to do it, it's a lot harder than it sounds. It's only been done twice in my 35-year lifetime. That's it. It's only happened twice. And those teams weren't trying to be bad. They just, I mean, what, the Browns and the Lions. Two sad franchises that still to this day... I feel like they're synonymous with failure, even more, way more so than the Jets are. Now you guys are trying to ascribe to that level of failure, and I think that it's hard to get to. I think it's hard to be that bad. When you look at your roster, how much or how little of the current roster is going to survive what is ultimately a franchise reshaping? I mean, I've got a few. First of all, on defense, I mean, you look at Quentin Williams, Marcus May. I mean, is that... Is that maybe That's all they've drafted the last three years and is that kept. it? That's my point. Like uh, well, there, there's no use there. So so the thing with May is I really kind of did a one eighty on May. I, I with the limited college tape that I had with him coming out of college, I was like, This kid's a second rounder and then I was looking at his age and I hated the pick. I hated, especially because you took a safety in the first round. You took safety in back to back rounds, like, what the fuck are you doing? Um I hated the pick, especially, you know, you put on his tape and you see Zay Jones just dusting him out of his shoes for a touchdown. Buffalo Bills Hall of Famers. <laughs> um, um, but, but, I, but after watching May's tape over the years, he's a player who I really kind of like. And I was kind of hoping we were going to trade him at the trade deadline because it was going to help the tank out. Uh, but that didn't happen. But he's on the last year of his contract. And I have no idea that the Jets are going to re-sign him. In fact, the Jets just drafted a kid early in the third round, and supposedly they really like him. I don't really like him that much. I'm talking about Ashton Davis, the safety from California. Ashton Davis is more of a free safety type, rangy type of kid, you know. And that's Marcus May's thing. Like, Marcus May can come down in the box, and he can lay a hit. He can blitz. I mean, can I, I tell you that? Can things. I tell you that watching them play the Patriots on Monday Night Football, I thought Ashton Davis was a linebacker because that's how they used him the whole game. So if he's a free safety type, I don't understand why I, why was I, someone who's not drinking because I have a child and on Mondays, I mean, I'm usually a hungover from Sunday and b just struggling for sleep of any sort that I can get. Um, why I am I confused that, that he's a linebacker? Well, it's because, at, I mean, because you have Marcus May and because Marcus May has played that position for three years, you're not going to just switch up Marcus May and what he does good. So they started. They wanted to start giving Davis more playing time. 
So they kind of played him in a role that's not really his forte. But you'd rather do that with a young player as opposed to a player who's but, already comfortable. But isn't that kind of the, the, the whole gay thing? Like, hey, let's just do a lot of things that don't make sense. Let's do a lot of things that are not advantageous from one player to the next. It just seems to be the theme. When you switch to the other side of the ball on offense, I know we could do a a two-hour podcast on all the things that are wrong with the Jets. On offense, Mims and Becton. Right now, the early returns on both of them look really promising. Becton shocked me. I said when you guys drafted him that he looked like, I was like, oh, they took the least technically refined guy in the draft. At left tackle, at least in the first round, in that first round conversation, and then I've I watched what the go, Giants. Sorry, sorry got you. No, I was gonna say, and then I watch what the Giants tackle has gone on to be. Uh, what was it, uh, Thomas? Andrew Thomas, yeah, Andrew Thomas. And you look at Becton, and in Becton, what I see is a guy who's a mauler. I've seen him throw Chiefs players. He grabbed Frank Clark and threw him like a rag doll. Like he was getting, Gary, like he was getting removed from Chippewa Street. <laughs> like, right. hey, let's be fair. Let, let's <laughs> be fair. I'm an, I'm a, I know I'm a Jets fan. I love Mekhi Becton. Let's be fair, though. Uh, on that play, uh, Alex Lewis, the guard, gave Frank Clark a hell of a shot. Okay. To help assist with the throwing of him on that play. I've also watched. But there have been other times, and I gotta, I gotta. Let me be perfectly fair and honest too. Out of all the pass rushers that Beckton has got against this year, including Nick Bosa, the person who's gave him the most struggle is why am I forgetting his name right now? Ninety-seven on your guys' team, uh, Mario Addison. Mario Addison's gotten Beckton for a couple sacks, a couple you know purely clear sacks where where Addison has won. And it was kind of sloppy technique on Beckton's part every time, but uh, but if you just comparing Beckton's tape versus uh, Andrew Thomas coming out, if you watch Beckton, like because when I was th- hearing how big this guy was, I was like, oh shit, here's another combine warrior. Yep. Like I I don't want this guy. Like I was Bruce buying Campbell. into Bruce the narrative. Yeah, yeah, right. I was buying into the narrative, but once you actually popped on his tape, and thanks to Duke Manyweather, Duke Manyweather put up like. All his past pro reps, all 22 angles, on his uh, YouTube page. So I could, I, I was literally able to watch every single pass pro rep he ever had. He had very smooth feet for that big guy. But when you watch Andrew Thomas, he has such choppy feet. So I actually like Beckton better than Andrew Thomas. Although I kind of like the other two guards, especially Wills or not guards, uh, tackles. I, I did like Wills better than Beckton, but Beckton has been. Uh, Really impressive, and I, I I really like him a lot, especially in the run game, man. I there there cannot be five linemen more in the NFL that move people the way that he does in the run game. I so, can't think of five linemen that do it better than him. The most impressive thing, and this is probably the only thing I'll I'll say positive about a Jets player all season. I watched Mackay Becton mow down not not just Bosa. But then the guy behind him on a on a rushing play against the 49ers. And then look at the sideline. Almost like he's looking directly at his head coach and starts beating his chest and pointing at the ground. Like, you need to let me do my job. You have to let me do this. And it was one of the most impressive things because he's a rookie. He's in the sixth game of his career. And you have this kid who knows now that he's talented enough to hang at the NFL level. To the degree that he's almost demanding, hey, look, I, I deserve to be here. Let me do what I'm good at. I love that. 
Besides Mims and Becton, is there anyone else on the offense that you think survives the turnover that's coming for this team? I think Jamison Crowder is going to be here next year, and I think he's going to play a significant. I mean, if you look at his contract, I don't know, he's going to get like seven, eight million or something like that next year. You're going to have a lot of cap. You're going to have a new quarterback, new rookie quarterback. You'd want a very reliable slot guy who knows how to get open, who's going to just be there as your safety valve. I don't see why you'd want to get rid of a guy like that. And Crowder's been nothing but a professional, you know, so. He doesn't bring any of the drama to the locker room like some of these other guys like Jamal Adams did. So uh, I, I can't see – I mean, might he only be here one more year? Maybe, but I, I think Crowder will be here next year, and he's obviously going to be a key piece to the offense. Before we switch gears here and move on, how crazy is it that you guys have no wins? Your crosstown rivals have what, three? Two, three. two, two or three. Three wins now? Mm-hmm. And yet they're in the running to win their division. <laughs> How does <laughs> is that a weird dynamic in New Jersey right now? Well, I love it personally because I think Daniel Jones sucks, um, <laughs> and I want the Giants to stick with him. So, like when I was looking, you know, like oh, it's like oh man, the Giants, man, they they might finish with like the second, third pick or whatever. I don't want them to draft a new quarterback. I want them to stand stay with turnover Daniel Jones. Uh, it is crazy though. That just goes to show you how bad the NFC East is. Uh, hopefully they still lose the division. Hopefully they get like I don't know six wins or something like that and lose the division. Therefore, they're going to be irrelevant like we were, where we had a bunch of five, six-win seasons, not high enough to get a quarterback, but you still suck. I hope the Giants stay kind of in that lane for a long time because I hate the Giants. I hate the Giants, <laughs> and I hate how Giants fans used to treat me. I remember fellow fellow uh, uh, buddy of ours back in the day, who used to play football with us in high school, Gary and I, uh, Billy Motes, big Giants fan. I remember watching the Jets versus the Steelers in the playoffs, and Doug Bryan blew two field goals late in the game, which would have won the Jets the game, playoff game in Pittsburgh. And I remember Billy Motes just rubbing it in my face. Uh, And ever since that point, I've hated Giants fans so much. (laughs) So... He, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Gary just comes at the end. That guy sucks. Don't don't, don't listen to him. He, he's a piece of shit. But anyway, yeah, you know what? I gotta say one thing. I gotta chime in. You look at the Giants roster, top to bottom, compared to the Jets. They have a lot of talent. That that roster is scattered with former first round picks. They revamped their linebacking core. Like, there's no reason. Whoa, 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 whoa. Revamped with first round picks. Don't, don't, don't make it something because they traded for other teams' first failed first round draft picks. Oh, but but, Jabril Peppers. Leonard Washington. (laughs) Literally. You look at the Jets Jets roster. You got Jets saying sweet about Bless Austin, who's a. I was he a sixth round pick? Oh Jesus! Seventh rounder from Rutgers, Gary. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I would hang my hat on Jabril Peppers any day of the week over Bless Austin. That's your hill you want to die on is Bless Austin. Then go ahead, Jets fans. But I'll hang my hat on something else. They have the Giants. Do have talent? Their defensive line. Listen, Bills fans were creaming. For Tomlinson, the trade for Tomlinson. Um, we were all clamoring for this Tomlinson to help solve the run. He's on. He's but he's on. But it's a. But Gary, it's a passing league, though. Like, why do you need all those run stuffing guys? Who's hold on? 
You're going to say that Leonard Dexter, Williams... Dexter Lawrence? Oh, Leonard, Leonard Williams is more of a run stuffer than a pass rusher. Come on, you know oh, this. Come on, Kyle. His rookie year, you guys, he was getting to the quarterback better than better than Williams was his rookie year. Not saying now. Not so you're talking now. about a six a six year player. You're talking about his rookie year. What has he done since then? Well, listen, look at the situation he was in. I mean... <laughs> I mean, he did play in the sand pit that is. He did play in the quicksand that is the New York Jets. That's uh, and that. Uh, listen, I'm just saying the Giants do have talent. Compared them to the Jets, they do have talent. Are they a three-win team? I mean, look at. I mean, the judge, the jury's still out on Judge if he's a good head coach. But I, I, I don't think the Giants are a, a bad team. I'll say, say this: the Jets are a terrible team. Their roster says. I'll say this. That was a, they are definitely better coached than us. There's no doubt about it. That was a vintage AFC East Bros argument, and I'm so happy I was here for it. I love it. I love seeing the two of you go back and forth. This is the best. That was, that was relatively civil. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And so now we all have to talk about the elephant in the room, and that's the Miami Dolphins. They won their game this week 30-27 to against the Chargers. I mean, they never trailed into what is Tua Tagovailoa's third start. Their quarterback was efficient. And the Chargers' defense was clearly depleted and lacking at linebacker, allowing them some unknown running back. No one's ever heard of this guy to carve them up on the ground, which made Tua's day easier, which seems to be the theme of Tua's career so far as a starter. Everyone around him making his life easier. Now, I can remember this like it was yesterday. The Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets, each team drafting a potentially franchise-altering quarterback. With gobs of cap space, watching the Dolphins languish in mediocrity behind poor coaching and a ton of draft misses. One of our teams, Kyle, you, us and Gary, you on your side of the fence, one of our teams was going to be the heir to the AFC East when Tom Brady inevitably left. It was almost a foregone conclusion. It would just be a matter of what team and which method of rebuilding made it happen faster. The Bills drafting and spending UFA dollars in the trenches. They prioritized developing line play on both sides, and then they threw some cash at wide receivers. The Jets, conversely, put all their money into running back, slot receiver, defensive back, linebacker. They, they, they picked the special positions and figured that with a future franchise quarterback, with all these weapons that he... Not that we've given him weapons that he needs to score, the defense can maybe have a few pieces that could force turnovers and negative plays, and a pair of ascending young talents at safety, that's all we need. We don't need line play. We can ignore that. And we said it. It'll be a case study for years. Well, we've already seen what that wrought. 
the Jets are a zero-win football team and the Buffalo Bills are contending for the top of the division. But the th- I didn't ever envision a world where Miami would insert itself so profoundly into the picture. And yet here we are. Instead of recapping the game that got them here, here's what I want to talk about. Now, Kyle, from your perspective as a Jets fan, knowing how much the Dolphins have improved, how young they are, and how well-situated they seem to be going forward, how long do you think it might be before the Jets can firmly insert themselves back into that AFC's contender conversation? Well, it really kind of all depends on how the season finishes. If they do get Trevor Lawrence, I mean... You know, some people, and I, I, I cannot even fathom why some people actually thought this based on what they were seeing from the tape, but some people wanted to say Sam Darnold was the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, um, which is just completely uh, insane to me. But when you look at Trevor Lawrence, I think he actually does fit that description. So if they end up with him, and then they can actually, you know, you know, land some decent free agents, hopefully, you know, actually help the young kid out, maybe get like an Allen Robinson so he actually has some weapons to throw to. You know, I'm not saying the Jets could be a I – mean, the one thing about the, the NFL is you can turn things around so quick. I mean, just look at Miami, for example. But look at the 49ers, right? The 49ers had the second pick in the draft, and then the very next year they go to the Super Bowl, right? So you can turn things around very quick in the NFL. So, you know – if the Jets get Lawrence and then they knock out some of their their other draft picks, because you're going to probably get like a second rounder for Darnold, you have another first rounder this year, they could be in playoff contention next year if they hire the right coach. Although I don't, I, I doubt that in their first year with a rookie quarterback, they'd make a serious you know push deep into the playoffs. But the, the cool thing about the NFL, and I think it's one of the reasons why it's so popular, is teams turn around really quick. So it kind of really depends on how the season ends for the Jets in terms of draft standing and who they hire as the coach. Because coaching, and this, I was having a conversation with Dad the other day, Gary, and one thing I was trying to say, and I'm curious for your thoughts on this, Drew, is why coaches don't actually get paid more money than they do. When you look at certain players and stuff, players have a very short uh, shelf life. You know, why aren't teams, you know, pushing more and more money to give coaches you know, higher salaries to keep the coaches locked in there or to attract the bigger names. Because when you look at a coach like Belichick, he's going to keep his team. He's so good. He's going to keep his team competitive every year, no matter who he's playing with. But then when you look at someone like Adam Gase and you're like, Oh my God, he is that (laughs) bad. Look at the job Matt rules done. He's taking the Carolina team that I know they're three and seven, but they're look at the, the, the game that they gave the chiefs at Arrowhead stadium a couple weeks ago. Like, that team plays tough, and it's because they're well-coached. So um, coaching is extremely important in the NFL, and I think you guys can attest to that because you guys finally got a good coach in McDermott. I think it's and hard. Look what it's, done. look what it's done for your team. I think coaching is hard because you've seen guys. And here's the thing. Coaching is fluid, and that's the reason that the salaries are reduced. Here's what I'll say. Look at Matt Nagy. Two years ago, you would have told me Matt Nagy deserved to be on the Mount Rushmore of football teams. He took the what all of a sudden uh, their what the the quarterback that they traded up for Mitch Trubisky, Mitch, one spot, one spot. They traded up one, one spot, spot. <laughs> to draft to draft Mitch Trubisky, which I think will forever be a stain on that football team. The fact that their GM allowed that to happen. When he gets fired, that's probably going to be one of the first things people point to. 
But they traded up for Mitch Trubisky. They were on the they had an eleven win season on the back of an all time great defense. And everyone said, hey, look at what a genius Matt Nagy is on offense. Now here we are two years removed from that, and he looks like a boob, and there's people talking about how he doesn't belong in the NFL. The coaches are great as long as they stay winning games. The second you start to falter, listen, you can have all the great ideas in the world. Chan Gailey for the Buffalo Bills. He was one of the better offensive coordinator or at least offensive minds we'd had in years. Didn't mean he was a good coach. It just meant he picked a moment and had some good spots. And then when it fell apart, it was ugly. And you're seeing that pan out with guys like Nagy. And that's what happens is that when you go out and recruit these guys and hire them, You can't pay them at the same level as a wide receiver because that wide receiver is going to be who he is most of the time. Not every season, but most of the time because you know what his physical talent brings. You you look at the most, Chris, the most highly paid wide receivers in football, DeAndre Hopkins, who just crucified the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. In my bank account. Is he not one of the most elite wide receivers in football? He is. Provably, year over year. He is. So he deserves to make double what even the highest paid coaches make because his talent will never change. Coaches. What do you mean his talent will never change? Well, it won't change in that window of the contract, at least in the first early years of it. Of course, every player, Mario Williams with his giant contract with the Buffalo Bills, like he didn't suck towards the end. That's why we cut him. But ultimately, Players, when you get them in their prime, they're a known quantity. Coaches, on the other hand, you hand them a mixed bag as a roster. Bill Belichick has been probably the only one who's been able to make hay with nothing. And even this season, he's having a hard time doing that. That's why coaches don't get paid more money. I had to challenge Drew. I love you to death, man. But how many times have we seen players get paid in their prime and pack it in? I mean... Oh, some of those guys do, but they're th- those guys are scumbags. They're not competitors. What they are is they're they're the Marcel Darius's of the world, who literally had one end goal in mind, which was getting paid. And the second they get that check, it turns out you you were never a competitor. You were just a dude who you were hungry. There's so many case studies with that. I, I personally think that everyone should be paid on performance, and coaches are probably the, the biggest example of that. And I think the ones that, that do get paid well, the Belichicks, John Harbaugh, you know, Mike Tomlin, they stand the test of time. They're very consistent. Yes, exactly. They're consistent from year to year. Like, you know, when when has Mike Tomlin been worse than – Mike Tomlin actually – It was last year, 7-9. and nine. I think that's by far his worst. No, he wasn't 7-9. and nine. Right. He was 9-7 and seven because Mike Tomlin is the first coach, according to SportsCenter, to have winning seasons every single year of his career. And he's it, it, listen. That probably why Marvin Lewis kept his job so long in Cincinnati is because, yeah, they never won a playoff game, but he always kept bringing them to the dance. And eventually, you know, he actually had strung along a, a, a bunch of losing seasons. So, but he in his first couple of years, he always got them to the playoffs. He was consistent at getting them there. He was a he was a coach for a decade. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. But to your right. point, he made the show, and that's it. If you can make the playoffs, you're going to be a coach in the NFL. Give me a ticket to the dance. <sighs> let me 
Let the Bills be the 07 Giants. I, let, let me do that. That's what I want. Duh. Uh, don't, don't, don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Yeah. So, Gary, now looking at you, I got to ask you, talking about the Miami Dolphins, I mean, this team, did you ever see them being the team that would be chasing us? I mean, we thought it might be the Jets, but it wasn't. Now, Kristen, Chris was the one who's been pounding the table that this rivalry has to be Bill's Dolphins because it's what it was in the 90s. Ownership shows that, hey, long term, and I think, Kyle, you alluded to some of this, ownership over time can dictate the course of a franchise. The Buffalo Bills languished in mediocrity for 20 years because we had an absentee owner, an owner who was literally on his deathbed most of the time. I mean, I, I remember seeing him at training camp in a, in a golf cart and thinking to myself, why isn't he in a bubble? A stiff breeze could actually kill him. I don't understand why he's out here. N- not to disparage Ralph Wilson, for those of you who are might take offense, I literally went to the stadium, smoked a cigar, poured out a 40, <laughs> literally had security had to kick us off the uh, stadium property that night. But my point is... My point is, ownership can kind of dictate the trajectory of a franchise. The Jets are kind of in flux. They don't know what, their ownership has made some poor choices. The Bills' new ownership picked, they picked a showman first, and then they landed on Sean McDermott, who is the polar opposite, and it's panning out. Now you've got Miami, who has seemingly found a good head coach, and now all of a sudden we're on even footing. And then now we seem like we actually are in a race here, a race for time to see who takes over the division. My first question is, if what if anything concerns you about trying to stay ahead of Miami here in 2020? I mean, at, at this point, like I said, I think the, the proof is in the pudding. That, uh, the schedule, we, it seems that we have the easier schedule, the exception of Pittsburgh. They still have to play Kansas City and Vegas. Uh, Kansas City, uh, Pittsburgh seems like the only black guy that I could see on our schedule thus far, the team that I don't think we can beat. Um, but they're built very similar than we are. I mean, you look at what we did when we got uh, Josh Allen. We built the offense line. Feliciano, Quint Spain, you know, we obviously paid Deion Dawkins. They did the same thing. They went out, they drafted Robert Hunt, they drafted Jackson. They brought in Eric Flowers, who's made kind of a resurgence at guard. <laughs> Shockingly. Uh, you look at that, I'll tell you what, you put on that Los Angeles tape, uh, and he's knocking people down left and right. He's knocking chargers down left and right at guard. He's an absolute animal at that position. He couldn't, he couldn't block a, a, <laughs> a high school kid at tackle, but at guard, he, you know, see ball, get ball, that kind of mentality. He sees a guy in front of him, and he just runs right through him. Um, they got Ted Krause from New England, a familiar face from Flores. So they did a very similar thing to what the Bills did. They got the young quarterback in Tua, who I must say has very has, has impressed me as much as anyone. He is decisive with the ball. He sees an opening. He reads it right, and he delivers the ball on time. He's he's definitely looking roll time. Um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely. I know you're a Bama guy. <laughs> <laughs> It just I'll sucks that it's forget, happening I'll in our. Never forget when the when the Bills traded up for Reggie Ragland and 
Drew let out a big roll tide after oh. they drafted him during the live draft show. Yeah, and here's the worst part. That guy went on to win a Super Bowl ring with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now he can win it. Darren Lee, too. Darren Lee got a ring, too, with the Chiefs. And, and Morris Claiborne. And Morris Claiborne. Look at all the players from our McCall. division who have McCall. won rings, except for our except for our draft picks. Our, they, they, they don't win the rings here. They take they take their talents to South Beach, and then they go win a ring. Oh. What if something if Darren Lee is a good luck charm and we actually get a ring, you know? So what scares yeah, you? a good luck charm for us. Because it sounds like you're pretty confident we're going to stay ahead of him. I, I I do think we're going to stay ahead of him for now. But don't get me don't get it twisted. If we don't continue to draft well and hit on free agency, they'll surpass us. Well, and that's we my to. and that's my question. I mean, to. looking ahead past 2020. I mean, here in 2020, I think that the Buffalo Bills have an easier schedule than the back half. I think that we play what Chris we talked about it during last week's show. We have uh, Pittsburgh. We have Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh and Miami are the only Pittsburgh ones and that have a playoff percentage. A playoff percentage over 50. Everyone else is in single digits. We're playing a bunch of teams that have already been relegated to the basement of the NFL. So the Bills should be able to hold serve for this year. I'm not scared of that. But looking ahead, cheap rookie contracts they now have at their disposal – their entire, not only their offensive line, but their backups to their offensive line cost them nothing. And their offensive line is showing pretty well, to your point. They now have a ton of draft capital. What, what is it? Elf's constantly, Elf Artiago, three yards per carry. He's constantly referencing the fact that they have, what, three more picks in the top 100? Yeah, they get Houston's first rounder. They have Houston's first rounder. They, they have Which a lot of draft five. capital this next year to add onto the pile. And considering how well they've been drafting, how concerned are you, Gary, that they could actually surpass Buffalo, who is currently 4-0 in divisional play and 5-2 in the AFC, in terms of building a consistent winner in the, in the conference? I mean, I'm very much concerned. And if you look at their roster, I was, that's what I always do. I kind of, every week, I'll pull up a screen on my computer of their roster and compare it to ours. And I kind of do a check mark thing. You know, we're definitely surpassed. We're better than that receiver. There's no doubt about that. Offensive line, I think that's a wash. I think we're, we're equal in that department. Secondary, to be honest with you, they, they have a better secondary than we do. There's no doubt about it. Linebacker, you got the check mark there. Defensive line, it's pretty much a wash there. That's something that they built me all season. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba has been playing out of his mind. Shaq Lawson has been building off the last season. What do you a lot of the good things when he did in Buffalo, he's doing in Miami right now. He's down against the run. He offers a little pop as far as the pass game goes. So it's a wash there. there you're only talking about two different spots. The quarterback, I mean, I'm going to say Josh Allen because he, he's in the MVP conversation where two is kind of just feeling his own right now. We definitely have a check mark there. And running back, it's been a wash. I gotta say, it's been the biggest disappointment thus far as the Bills is Singletary and Zach Moss. Meanwhile, the meanwhile Miami just cut Jordan Howard. Yeah, <laughs> one of their great free agent signings. Yeah, imagine that. I mean, T.J. Yeldon would have been mincemeat if he was on their roster. Oh right my God! I mean, now, for, let's forget about James Wilder Jr. But I mean, <laughs> of course, you, we have to go back to James. My love affair with James Wilder Jr. I met the guy. He seemed like a good human being, and he was huge. I was like, this is a running back I like. 
Guys, this is why I love you. Your memory's long. You love football. And I love that we got a taste of that old AFC East Bros dynamic here during tonight's show. I want you to tell everybody where they can find you on social media. And I want you guys to walk away from this thinking about, hey, maybe we uh, maybe we do this again sometime. Well, I'd love to come on and chat with you guys next time that you want to do that. Um, that'd be great. Um, in terms of me on social media, I don't really tweet too much anymore. Um, just kind of whenever something hits the dome. Um, and my Twitter handle is kind of weird. Uh, I, I really wish I could make it more basic, but it's kind of hard when you have a, a common name like me. But it's at NYJetsFilm, although I don't really post much film, so it's kind of <laughs> weird. And Gary, you can go ahead. Yeah, I'm at AFC underscore East Bro Gary. That's I haven't changed it since we did the show, and who knows? Maybe, uh, like I said, it's, uh, you guys, maybe that'll that'll stick forever. I mean, especially if we get the show, we get a show, and we might do one one off show every once in a while, like this, you know, to keep it going. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. That was a lot of fun. And now we have to cover, I think, what might have been the most fun game of the week. I know, shocking that I'm about to talk about it. The New England Patriots won 23-17 versus the Ravens. And here to talk to us about it, Mike Debate from Lockdown Patriots. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun on our end, without any question. The Patriots coming out with a win that most people did not think they'd come out with including myself. I actually had the Ravens in this one. So I was pleasantly surprised by what I saw on Sunday night. I'm not going to lie to you. I hate the Patriots. I hate them with every almost every fiber of my being, mostly because of what you guys have put us through for 20 years. Like, it's been brutal being the almost ran every year and then sometimes not even making it that far. A couple times we were third, but mostly second, and that sucked. It sucked a lot. And yet, I hate Lamar Jackson so much more (laughs) 
that watching you guys beat him. I was talking to my boss about it at work. He goes, I can't, because he was talking about how miserable he was after the Bills loss on Sunday. And I said, I think one of the things that helped me was watching the Ravens get beat in Foxborough with Lamar Jackson being a subpar quarterback. I mean, it was one of the worst weather games I've seen so far this season. But the New England defense was able to kind of stymie the Ravens and former MVP Lamar Jackson, who had, I think, a mediocre to bad showing. Would you agree with my assessment of that? Yeah, I think a lot of that came from some of the weather factor. Like you said, it was an absolutely horrific weather situation in Foxborough on Sunday. Some of the worst weather I've ever seen up there. And that's saying a lot, considering we've been through the snow, the ice, the rain. Much like yourselves in Buffalo, you guys know all about terrible weather conditions. It's nothing new to you guys either. Uh, But this was really, this was a windswept, soaking rain that just absolutely dominated the contest. But in a lot of ways... What the Patriots did was make sure on defense that every player that moved freely throughout the field knew their gaps, they stayed aggressive, kept Lamar in obvious passing situations. Essentially, they ran the blueprint that they wanted to run against this team, and it worked. It worked with a lot of solid performances from guys that have been giving – Adequate to subpar performances pretty much all year long. Josh Uche, finally, the rookie linebacker that the Patriots picked up from Michigan, finally came in, showed that he and Chase Winovich can be an effective pass rushing tandem when they're playing in sync together. Um, having guys on the field, roaming throughout the field like Jason McCourty, uh, Adrian Phillips, um, guys Kyle Duggar obviously had a huge game for the Patriots on Sunday. That type of game plan, allowing players to move freely throughout the field, really allowed multiple players that play multiple positions to be able to get after the quarterback and be able to stifle some of what um, Baltimore does on the run game and really take away a lot of the passing uh, game as well. Uh, Kyle Duggar was excellent defending against Mark Andrews. Kyle uh, Jason Jackson was in lockstep against uh, a guy like Hollywood Brown. So a lot of the game plan that the Patriots employed worked to their advantage, and the fact that Lamar did not have his best game definitely helped and played right into it. Kyle Duggar had maybe, argue with me if I'm wrong, his best game in a Patriots uniform. Oh, no, without question. I mean, he played 54 snaps, constantly around the ball. Um, He led the team with 12 tackles, seven solo tackles. That was exactly what the doctor ordered for the Patriots. He was a physical, second-level defender, flew to the ball, uh, just showed tremendous field awareness and awareness of where everyone else needs to be on the field. Keep in mind, this is a rookie that was playing Division II football last year at this time at Lenore Ryan. He comes in, doesn't have the Patrick Chung to hold his hand this year and kind of bring him along slowly. He doesn't have the ability to hold a clipboard while the veterans are showing him exactly what to do. Chung opted out, and the secondary, especially in the safety area, was a little bit thin. Kyle Duggar has stepped in. He's played hard. He's played well. And, uh, yeah, uh, Sunday night was unquestionably his best game in a Patriots uniform. One of my favorite parts of the entire game, I joked with you about it last time, about how, hey, look at a fourth-round pick from Alabama outrushing a first-round pick from Georgia. Damian Harris outrushed the entire Ravens team by himself. 22 carries, 122 yards, 5.5 yards per carry. He was physical in a game where it's so wet and it's so rainy. I mean, this that would almost, Chris, 
am I crazy? You'd you'd think that based on the blueprint Baltimore has built, a tough, short area passing and running the football, that's the game that they're seemingly built to dominate. With the money and the draft capital they spent in the backfield, on the offensive line, at the tight end position, and yet it was the Patriots that they they showed a little bit better in that regard. What was it about that? I mean, that was the part of the game that you guys really took it to the Bills a week or two ago. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways that Bills game was the springboard for what we've seen from the Patriots offense in the last three weeks, Uh, albeit a little bit of a struggle against the Jets. I know a lot of people look at that game as, oh, they were terrible and they were lucky to pull that out. Uh, They really struggled defensively in that game without question. But offensively, Patriots were starting to make a few adjustments, and I noticed that, and it's something that really – you know, really played well on Sunday night against Baltimore. Look, one of the big keys is Cam Newton was looking much more comfortable in the Patriots offense throughout the past couple of weeks, and I've noticed that. Um, the Ravens love sending those extra pass rushers all over the field. Uh, that's essentially what Baltimore wanted to do. They wanted to blitz on every down, take away the checkdowns, force them to beat them elsewhere, and that's where Cam Newton was able to make adjustments. He looked very calm, cool, collected, and he was able to you know, uh, really utilize the running game uh, to, his, uh, uh, to his advantage. Um, a lot of ways, I think what Cam has done now is he's slow down the game a little bit and he's able to identify he's reading the uh the the, the defense pre-snap he's able to identify the blitzes he's getting the check down off quicker he's releasing the ball quicker that makes everything a lot more comfortable and it opens up the running game for someone like you said like damian harris who's been phenomenal uh rushed for more than 100 yards in the in three of his last six games 121 yards on sunday night 22 carries that's a career high Vision, toughness, physicality, he runs with all of them. He is definitely the running back run on this team, and uh, I don't think he's relinquishing that title anytime soon. Damian's been one of the really big bright spots of this Patriots offense. Chris, this is going to be the third time I said it on this podcast. Roll time! Woo! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Chris hates it. He hates He hates it. Yeah. Because he's an Auburn fan. I'm not an Auburn fan. My brother went there, so I support Auburn. I don't let Auburn football dictate my Saturdays. Yeah, well, listen, some of us like to stand for something. So with that in mind, Cam was efficient. 13-17, 183, and a touchdown with no picks. Was it game plan? Just, hey, keep it short. Keep it efficient. The weather's terrible. Don't try to air it out. Like Lamar Jackson, when he throws at the... What was he doing? The interception, right? The J.C. Jackson interception. What what was Lamar Jackson throwing at there? I mean, that's not a... (laughs) No, because here's the thing. I looked at it and I said, okay, this is going to... With the weather this bad, Cam Newton is probably going to shit the bed. And instead, he played a very efficient game. He ran the ball when he had to. He was super... His completion percentage is great. He scored, didn't turn it over for the. It's his first time turning it over in, I want to say, a month and a half. So, with all of that in mind, was it a game plan to insulate Cam Newton that made him look so much better than Lamar Jackson, or is it just Lamar Jackson being a bad quarterback? 
No, I think it was more the game plan of Cam of uh, Josh McDaniels and then the Patriots brain trust to insulate Cam Newton. Look, in a lot of ways, what they did again was to simplify the offense, allow Cam the time that he needs to be able to get the checkdowns off quicker. The offensive line was brilliant in this game. They gave Cam all the protection that he needed and then some. Uh, the return of Jermaine Illuminor was huge in this game. Yes. Uh, he was able to come in and situational uh, you know, uh, downs and be able to provide a little extra pop in that um, that offensive line. Michael Wainu continues to be one of the bright spots in all of the NFL rookies, not just the Patriots, but all of the NFL rookies in terms of the production he's bringing at the tackle position. And it should be noted that he's a natural guard. He's not even a natural tackle, but he's making it look easy on that side. And really, he's he's been phenomenal. Joe Tooney was excellent in this game. Isaiah Wynn at the left tackle position really coming into his own through a lot of key blocks that not only opened up some lanes for Damian Harris but also opened up things for Cam Newton to be able to tuck and run and utilize his legs to extend plays. It all begins and ends on the offensive line with the Patriots with David Andrews. He is the captain. He's the heart and soul of that offensive line. And even with Dante Scarnecchia having retired, um, and a lot of Patriots fans, myself included, were really worried that the Patriots were going to miss that discipline, that always knowing where they need to be. Uh, Cole Popovich, Carmen Brasillo have done a great job coaching that line. But the presence of David Andrews has really been the deciding factor. So when you get that type of protection whether you're Cam Newton or whatever quarterback happens to be in the backfield, you're going to find the time to be able to play your game. And that's essentially what they've been doing with Cam. And credit Cam as well. He's been playing it well. He's been making adjustments. He's utilizing the right side of the field where for a couple of weeks there, it looked like he was even afraid to look in that direction, let alone throw there. He's spacing his his throws and he's finding open receivers and it's helping him in the long run. Switching sides of the football, talking about the defense. Lamar Jackson made kind of a controversy. He made waves last week when he openly complained. I don't know who the journalist was offhand, but he complained that teams knew their offense, that he could hear defenders calling out the play. And I've seen a lot of memes. There's been a lot of trash talk around it. But ultimately, that's a staple of Greg Roman. Chris, think about what Greg Roman's accomplished in his career. Um, he started with Colin Kaepernick. That's where he really got his run. He got he the, fired after week two. He was the architect of the offense that took Colin Kaepernick to a Super Bowl. He, and then he, he got... Well, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. But let's go back. He gets his run out in San Francisco. He gets that game. He gets an offense up and running when Colin Kaepernick subs in for Alex Smith. And all of a sudden, he figures out how to use this rushing quarterback who can throw the ball fairly well, but who's a strong runner, who's a mobile quarterback, and he finds a way to use that to his advantage. And that's how he gets notoriety. Then he comes to Buffalo. Gets fired in week two. Gets fired in week two of the second season of his tenure. Game plans uh, 250 plays for one game. They said he was he was planning 100-something plays for a single game, and it was just too much. Anthony Lynn comes in, simplifies it. He gets a head coaching job. He goes on to be a head coaching candidate. Greg Roman does not. Greg Roman then finds his way inexorably to the Ravens. He plots together this MVP caliber season for Lamar Jackson. And then, like every story that he's written so far, this starts to turn into a... It's like the Cinderella at Midnight thing. He turns into a pumpkin. 
Now you've got your quarterback telling journalists that, hey, our our offense is too simple because defenses know the plays as we come to the line of sin. As we come to the line of scrimmage, there's no disguise here. There's nothing. And then he's forced to try to do it all on just talent alone. And he's not a good thrower outside of the numbers. And the chart that you guys held him to bears that out, according to Next Gen Stats. You held their offense to 115 yards rushing, which is shocking considering they're the team that's supposed to be the rushing offense in the NFL. And then the way you held his passing attempts into the middle of the field, or maybe that's just how it was designed. Maybe he's just not the quarterback because it w- anything outside the numbers, he had a few incompletions, I think one completion and one pick to the numbers. <sighs> what did your defense throw at this team that really gave them fits that to this point, I mean, they're a winning football team. Why hasn't everyone been able to do that? What did you guys do differently this week? Well, again, I think it comes back to against the Lamar Jackson-led offense. You want to make sure that every team knows their gaps. You want to make sure that they're staying aggressive, and you want to make sure that at the same time that everyone is putting pressure on the quarterback, force him into obvious passing situations, like I said before, and that's exactly what the Patriots did. One of the big keys for the Patriots having so much success is they finally got solid efforts in all three phases of the defense. The defensive line was a major plus in this game. Uh, They began running a 3-3 defense. They had Adam Butler, Lawrence Guy, Byron Coward inside. Then you've got John Simon and Chase Winovich as outside linebackers on the edge. They started to clog up the running lanes. Therese Hall played very solid in the middle of the linebacker position, filling in for Juwan Bentley, who's injured. And, of course, on the edges, you had Carl Davis, Dietrich Wise, seeing a lot of action, definitely taking some of those sub-roles in and playing well. I thought the linebacker position was really where this team shined on Sunday night, and that really has not been the case all season long. That's really been their weakest link. But one of the reasons why they were so effective in being able to defend against the run and the pass is because you had linebackers all over the field. Winovich and Simon played up close to the line. Then Belichick moved them around a little bit, and it even slid Simon back down into the line a little bit later in the game. But one thing that they did consistently was put pressure, and that's something that the Patriots have struggled to do. Chase Winovich being back on the field has been huge for this team. He was really just a complete, for lack of a better term, he was a pain in the ass for the, uh, for the Ravens offense. He just Every single time they wanted to try to get into a rhythm, Winovich was either playing off the ball or he was going after the ball and basically chasing down plays sideline to sideline. That's what the Patriots need him to do. When Winovich is playing in that way, that can be an effective and a formidable defense. So in a lot of ways, the Patriots utilize that defensive front seven to allow the secondary to play their game. And you mentioned some of the throws that Lamar Jackson, including the interception. J.C. Jackson's been phenomenal, uh, save for a, a, a rough game against the Jets, really rebounded with that uh, interception to close out the game. And his play on uh, Marquise Brown was just perfect. He played it perfectly. He knew that he couldn't. The only thing, a short completion, was not going to hurt the Patriots in that situation. He did not want Hollywood getting free and going over his head. J.C. played that perfectly and was able to read it, picked it off, and that was a huge momentum swing for the Pats going into the half. So all three phases of the defense being solid, Patriots came away with a good game plan. And again, like we said before, they caught Lamar on a pretty subpar night, and that helped a lot. Well, 
subpar or not, I, I feel like that's kind of par for the course for that guy. He's in 2020 at least. Now you guys are going on to the Houston Texans. <laughs> a game that I think was supposed to have a lot more pop than it is. I don't know how worried Patriots fans are. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the content you have coming up this week over at Locked On Patriots and where people can find you on social? Oh, absolutely. Well, you can definitely find me on social media at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-F-B-C on the Bird app, as my good friend Mark Schofield likes to call it. Twitter, uh, I will not be fleeting, folks, so you don't have to worry about that. No, no, no fleeting right now. I don't know if that's going to happen down the line, but right now... I'm not dipping into that pool, no question about it. But uh, it will be Texans coverage Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, leading up to Sunday's game. Uh, we have the crossover with Locked On Texans on uh, um, on uh, Thursday. And then, of course, the game prediction and the game preview on Friday. So a lot of good coverage between Patriots-Texans. So if you're a Bills fan and you want to take a look behind enemy lines, scout up that yet-to-be-upcoming matchup uh, between these two teams coming up down the line at the end of December might want to check that one out. Mike Tabate, Locked On Patriots. Kyle and Gary Smith of one of the better podcasts that has ever existed, the AFC East Pros. Almost made it to 100 episodes, but if you guys want to go back and hear about football in 2016, 17, when they were around, Go back. Their, their shows are still on on YouTube at least. Oh yeah, I've, no, I've they're on them. YouTube. They're, and I wish they would. I wish they would be a show again. Well, listen, we can give them. Like I said, I'm hoping that tonight is the start of something. I really do. Yeah, they were <laughs> they were great. Kyle and Gary are, it's a lot are of fun. Such I great miss personalities, those guys. and I, I I love the fact that even kind of unprepared, they still had their shit together. Yeah. Yeah, they pay attention. They know what's going on. That brings us to our Week 11 outlook. First of all, you get the Buffalo Bills on the bye week. For the second year in a row, the Buffalo Bills head into the bye on kind of a sour note, right? What was, la- what was last year's sour note? Last year's bye week was the Patriots game. Okay, against Brady? Against Brady when Josh Allen gets knocked unconscious and then your offense doesn't score from the three-yard line. Yeah, I don't remember that. Of course you don't. You've blacked out all of the... That's well, when Gary, Gary was at my house with you after the game. Yeah, I don't remember that. I remember... I remember around drinking. I remember, of course you don't. I remember Gary being being there. I don't remember that. It's it's a, a Brady-led Patriots team, so it just I chalk it up to a loss because I assume that we lose all of those games. But the good news is that there's no way we can lose our lead in the division this week while our team kind of rests up. Tiebreaker gets players off the COVID list and prepares to hit the back half of the schedule on a hot streak because they're going to need it to stay ahead of the surging Dolphins. Meanwhile, everyone else in the AFC East is hitting the road. Everyone else is going away to summer camp. You got the New Jersey, the New Jersey Jets away at the Chargers. Justin Herbert. He's illustrated a knack for running an offense, even if their defense can't stop a nosebleed. Yeah, I think I saw eight and a half on that spread. Yeah, which sounds about right. And for the Jets, this is a track meet, and I don't know how they have the horses for it. For New England, they're away against the Texans. When the schedule makers put this one together, you know what they had in mind. 
a great matchup between AFC contenders. Yeah, Belichick and Billow, wait. A game they can sell as a student versus master storyline. And a game that would feature a ton of scoring. Talk as Houston trader Way Hopkins. <laughs> Damn you, Bill O'Brien! But the Patriots are, they're not dead in the water. And they're looking to get back to 500 for the first time since week four. Against a team that literally went three and a half quarters, you and I together watched it happen. A team that went three and a half quarters without scoring a single point against the Cleveland Browns. How scared are you of the Houston Texans? Not scared at all. (laughs) And then there's Miami. Away versus Denver. The Miami effing Dolphins. If you had told me a month ago that they that we'd be tied with the Buffalo Bills for the division lead, I'd have told you that you drink more than I do. And then here we are on the doorstep of it. Now, whether the Finns can make good on it or not is still to be seen. And for me, it's going to be one of the most compelling storylines of the weekend. The Broncos are currently riding a two-game losing streak. And now Drew Locke might not play. Yeah, I don't think he's going to play. So with that, all of their weapons, you go back to that Jets game. Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, they're so good that each of them almost hit 100 yards with a backup, backup quarterback. They have some skill at outside wide receiver. They have some nice things going for them. Noah Fant, he he might be one of the smoother pass-catching tight ends in the NFL right now with Kittle on the shelf. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I feel like th- I feel like everything is gearing towards them tying us and us coming out of the bye with a real track meet on our hands, Chris. Is this where you saw the season being coming out of the bye? I knew we would be have a good record. I knew that much. You didn't know we'd be for all of your pounding of the table. For us to be rivals with the Miami Dolphins again, did yeah. you think it would happen this quickly? Yes, I did. I did because I just like what Kyle said earlier. Take it uh, takes teams a year, maybe two, to turn around. And Miami's only going to get better. Like they've got Houston's first round pick next year. They're going to get better for twenty twenty. We have to look at this game, watch and pray. And hopefully, by the time we get together to do this again next week, the Buffalo Bills aren't in. And even if they are, listen, if we come into this this podcast next week and we are neck and neck, do you or do you not feel confident in our chances? Yeah, I feel confident. I don't know if you uh, know this, but uh, Josh Allen's pretty clutch. Is two a clutch? We don't know yet. We don't know yet. He's never had to do it, right? Correct. They relied on a missed field goal to win their game against the Cardinals. It wasn't exactly missed as much as it was short. We have the quarterback who's leading the NFL in passing yards. We have dynamic weapons at every position but running back and offensive line. This defense is rounding into form. As a Bills fan, I'm not scared. And I can't wait to see what waits for us coming out of the bye week. 
This has been a great night. It's been a great night of content, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's been the AFC East Bros. Huge, huge thank you to Mike Debate. And this has been your AFC East Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.